0: hi everyone welcome back to the podcast today i'm sharing the audios from two instagram live videos i did back in december 2020 the very last two instagram lives that i did after doing them for a few months so when i come back for my next episode i'll be doing a more in-depth subjects but in this episode i do a combination of two um two episodes that focus on subjects including my parasite and acne journey what helped the most for me personally with both of those subjects. Talk about flaky skin and the fungus and yeast connection, anxiety, vitamin D, heavy and long periods, tips for those things, salt flushes and my thoughts, prenatal vitamins or vitamins, what's going on with high B12 levels, hair loss, skincare for acne, and detox support and recommendations for those who are highly sensitive. So, hope you enjoy this episode. Lots of different subjects. Again, hope you enjoy it and get something valuable out of it. I'll just give a little bit of an overview as to my recent parasite cleanse. So, I started parasite cleansing back in maybe August, September time. And I, my goal was to do three months straight of parasite cleansing, and that's through the Cell Core Biosciences. Protocol, not the full protocol because it's a 12 plus month one, but I did the Merval um, Sapudica seed, the Para 1, the Biotoxin binder, the Para 2, the Para 3, and I've done that for three months straight. And then my goal was to do once or twice a year at least of a parasite cleanse just to keep things optimal. So it's on my full moon cleanse. The full moon was on the 30th of November and it was this. I think it was an Eclipse as well at the same time. So maybe that made it a little bit more um, strong. The the detox that I was experiencing, because they specialize in chronic illness, the products and formulations are pretty gentle and mild anyway. So that's a good thing. So for someone like me with histamine issues or someone with mast cell activation, it can be a good brand to go for because they're really clean, really pure. And they're actually addressing the root causes of some of those things like, heavy metals, mold, parasites, etc. So I started my parasite cleanse and around the full moon, I increased the dosage of pretty much all of them. So I've done this from, I think, two days prior to the full moon. So whatever day that was, I'm getting mixed up with my dates and times. But I mega dosed on the the Para 1, the Para 2 and Para 3. And I was getting detox type symptoms, but not... My typical ones. So, usually when I'm detoxing, I get migraines or headaches, my skin would freak out, and I'd feel like really physically tired. I didn't really get those this, this month. I instead got a scratchy, tingly throat, and it just felt like I was getting sick. It didn't help yesterday that I was lecturing and chatting, and I have been today pretty much chatting, talking all day long. So, no wonder my throat's a little bit scratchy, but I felt that and I felt a little bit stuffy and congested. Um, and it flows up at night as well, which makes sense if it is parasites, because they're more active at night. At night and on the thirtieth, so Monday or Sunday, it was particularly bad. So that was the actual full moon day. And then last night, um, I got joint pain, and I've not had that in ages. That was a symptom that I used to get ages ago. Um, more of a food reaction, so like um, nightshade vegetables would cause joint pain. Or just my knees in particular would be very achy and sore. And last night, I don't know if it was because I was like I walk about pretty much every day, but I was in around, around Manchester carrying like heavy boxes and things, so maybe that contributed. But my knees were like really achy and uncomfortable. And the only thing that had changed was the parasite cleanse, and I'd been mega dosing on the parasite stuff. But other than that, I felt good. My skin's clear. I feel I can tolerate all of the products in really high amounts, which is amazing. I used to have to take a drop of things, otherwise I would react, particularly to herbs and alcohol tinctures, like the Para 3 is. So I'm really um, happy with my progress. I'm on my very last day of parasite cleansing now, and then I'm not going to be doing any more for another six months or something, or if I get food poisoning or any type of symptoms. I feel like my body is in a good place at the moment. But the joint pain... The scratchy throat the stuffiness detox reactions like I'm not sick and so many of my clients are going through parasite cleansing at the moment and that's why a lot of the products are out of stock currently in the UK I'm having everyone do it and so many people are saying that they're having flu-like symptoms That's good that they've got coronavirus but coronavirus obviously doesn't display in like stuffiness type symptoms it's more of the cough and respiratory stuff but it's not uncommon for old symptoms that used to be present to start to flare up again when you're detoxing. Sometimes the newest symptoms, so let's say you've only recently been getting headaches, sometimes that clears first and then your body heals backwards in time. This old naturopathic principle, you heal from the inside out, so gut health first before skin health, sometimes from the top down. And definitely from newest symptoms to very old symptoms. So sometimes people's tonsils start to flare up and they used to have a really bad time with tonsillitis or ear infections as a child. So sometimes these things that you think have gone, they come to the surface and that's not a bad sign. That's a sign that things are healing in layers. It's like layers of the onion. You're peeling one thing back, you get a symptom flare up, you push through a little bit. It shouldn't be that you're absolutely flawed with Terrible die-off symptoms. That shows that you're pushing it too much, or you're not supporting your drainage pathways. But if you're killing something off in the body, there's obviously going to be a detox or a herx die-off reaction. There's a few names for that. Have I ever worked with someone dealing with post-concussion syndrome? I have PCOS and have been dealing with vertigo and tinnitus for the past year and a half. I think hormones have delayed healing. So I've had people who have a history of um, traumatic brain injuries or concussions, but I, I don't specialize in that directly. That wasn't the main problem but the brain if there's any inflammation or damage to the brain that can be affecting your hormones but then vice versa you need hormones like progesterone to actually heal your brain so i was talking about this yesterday in the the lecture that i was doing um they like the benefits of progesterone and it was like i could talk for three hours on that but progesterone is very healing to the brain and they even use bioidentical progesterone for traumatic brain injuries in men so even if that's not the typical male hormone, they just found it to be so beneficial. So that could be um, definitely linked and it could be a two-way street. Your, your brain injury is affecting your hormones um, and your hormones are affecting your brain recovery. So symptoms, firstly, on psychological issues, anxiety, depression, can they be treated or improved by the work that I do? So as a nutritional therapist or naturopath, kind of approach, holistic, definitely. I think the majority of psychological things can be affected by diet, gut health, definitely, neurotransmitter levels, environmental toxins, things like mold and Lyme disease and chronic infections like parasites can cause um, persistent mood issues, brain issues, nervous system issues. But for some people, it's um, hardwired from childhood stress, childhood trauma. So there is that always an emotional spiritual energetic connection with any symptom i think but particularly anything mental health related so i think that if someone's still eating a terrible diet and isn't sleeping they're not going to get massive improvements with the mental health what do i suggest for flaky skin and fungus on the feet so if the flaky skin is on the body then that could be a thyroid issue when your thyroid sluggish your skin cell turnover starts to slow down so you end up with dry skin it's more coarse So thicker thicker skin, particularly on the bottoms of the feet. If someone has like very thick, scaly feet um, or hard, um, dry skin, that can be a sign of a thyroid issue. Um, But the athlete's foot, I think this person's referring to, often stems from a yeast imbalance internally. So check the gut and not just, you have to topically treat the problem as well, like any toenail fungus or any athlete's foot you need to address it both topically from the outside but also on the inside as well for full resolution how do you handle anxiety it depends on the person because for meditation for example it's great for a lot of people but for some people it makes them more anxious to sit there in silence with their thoughts there are different types of meditation as well so a guided meditation might be a little bit better for someone like that with that racing monkey mind so it depends on what comes you down personally. A lot of people find that breath work is one of the best and just evolutionarily it makes sense because our breath is one of the best ways to get us into that rest and digest, parasympathetic, calm, nervous system state. So you can just do some breathing exercises. It doesn't need to be a set designated time in the morning to do like a full practice. It could just be when you go to the bathroom, when you're at a traffic lights, can you sit there and just do some breathing exercises? Or when you feel yourself getting anxious, can you just calm it down, nip it in the bud as soon as possible? And breathing through the nose, holding it at the top, releasing it slowly, make your exhale a little bit longer than the inhale, and then pausing again at the bottom. That really keeps your mind focused on that as well. So it's not as um, crazy. But then I would also look at why do you have the anxiety in the first place are you are you going through a stressful time at the moment a lot of people are obviously with COVID in 2020 and everything but do you have digestive symptoms that could indicate your gut's a little bit off but it could even be that your gut is imbalanced even if you have zero digestive symptoms so don't just use that as a marker um neurotransmitters hormone imbalances thyroid issues there's so many root causes of anxiety and i've had a few podcast episodes on this as well so definitely scroll back and have a look for my episode with i think it's dr sarah DiFrancesco or DiFrancesco or something can't pronounce it, her last name that was like in the 30s to 50s episode so i'll have a look for that one because that talks about the root causes of depression and anxiety And someone asked about bioresonance, what I think about it. I've never done it personally. I was actually planning on doing it before COVID. And then obviously we couldn't do in-person appointments. So I would love to try it out. And because I don't have that personal experience, I can't give a full review. But I've heard and seen with clients good results from bioresonance. It depends on the, the practitioner as well. Same with nutritionists. There's some amazing nutritionists. There's some terrible ones. So I think it depends on the person go to somewhere with good referrals and it's worth a try but it's not there's never just one magic bullet quick fix but I've had some people whose Lyme tests, mold tests have come back negative for years or parasites um Epstein-Barr virus and they do a bioresonance scan and it finally shows up um so they it's just good to see on paper what's exactly going on then I have some questions on vitamin d so who do i recommend vitamin d for it's very individual so i used to when i was studying i'd be like everyone needs vitamin d everyone take high doses in the winter i'm not on that and don't believe that fully anymore because i do a lot of mineral testing now i find that some people don't process calcium properly and adding vitamin d especially in high doses can actually make calcium levels worse and therefore affect the metabolism and the thyroid it can slow that down A lot of people in the uk are deficient sometimes it's due to a magnesium deficiency or other nutrient deficiencies not just the vitamin d ideally we should be getting adequate sun exposure during the summer months building up your exposure from spring to summer building up your stores so that in winter you've got a nice few months of vitamin d stores because it is fat soluble it can store in the liver throughout the the winter ideally but if you have poor digestion if you have a low fat diet or you don't digest your fats properly then you may still be vitamin d deficient despite a supplement but i know in the uk they're giving vitamin d supplementation to the I think they call them the vulnerable the over 70s or like sick people in the uk which is good to protect their immune system with the virus and everything but the quality of the vitamin d is probably going to be terrible so i doubt that it's going to make too much of a difference it's definitely not going to be the types of vitamin Ds that I would use with clients, like emulsified and liquid combined with vitamin K2. It's going to be like a tablet, really poor quality and very low dose. Sadly, but at least they're trying and mentioning something to do with nutrition and lifestyle. Waste to help heavy long periods, even though Dutch test shows that my estrogen is low. This person has heavy long periods despite low estrogen levels. Um, I would check thyroid. Sometimes having a low thyroid hormone level can affect your period and make it heavier and longer as can an iron deficiency. So It's a vicious cycle with iron deficiency and heavy periods because having a heavy period can make you bleed more and therefore lose more iron. But then having an iron deficiency can trigger or contribute to a heavy period. So I would tell this person, Sarah, to check those things out and the person replied yes i already have low progesterone going into the injury injury if you don't specialize in this area is there any way that you can refer me in the right direction it's been a nightmare the past 18 months um if you dm me i can't think of anyone off the top of my head just send me a message and i will see if i can find someone suitable and tell me a little bit more about your health where you're living etc because i'm sure there's someone out there who will help and then we have some questions on parasites and mold. So I'll kind of group them together. Best way to find out if the old house we would like to renovate is mold contaminated. So Natasha asked this. It would be through a home test. Depends on how much you want to spend and what country you're in. But in the UK, as an, op- as an um, example, we'd have a company called Building Forensics. But it's going to be at least... a a thousand pound for them to come to your home probably more if you live further from london you go the higher the, the travel fees would be but they're like the gold standard they have a lot of these in america there's like literally one company in the uk that does this well and they do the the i don't know the terms just like the special testing the lights the uv rays all of that the photographs and they would be pretty accurate at ruling in or ruling out mold, but that's an expensive cost. And the lower cost option, but it's not as accurate, would be something like an Ernie or a Hertzme test, which is like the Petri dishes or the dust sampling that you do in multiple places in the home. And just for comparison, depending on how many rooms, but like an average home, you're probably looking at like £300-ish to do that. But the companies that I use are US companies. There's one called Immunolytics. The other one is called Micrometrics. So either of any of those tests would be good. But sometimes just your intuition, if you see the mold, if you can smell the mold, any musty, damp smells. If it's an old house, then it's more likely to have mold anyway, even if you can't see anything. So just be mindful of that. Someone asked about Candida. Um... Every time I start to feel better on a candida protocol and try to reintroduce sugar, my vaginal area becomes inflamed, swollen, and some discharge. Do I need to eliminate sugar for longer? Frustrated as I've been on a protocol for six weeks and any sugar puts me back to stage one. So this just tells me that you haven't done it for long enough or you're missing something else. I hope you're working with a practitioner because this can be a little bit tricky to navigate on your own for this person, but... If you introduce it back in and all of your symptoms come back, you're not addressing the root of the problem. You're removing the food source, but the, the yeast overgrowth is still there. That would rule out parasites or do a parasite cleanse so you can actually fully get to the yeast and um, investigate mold as well. Because if you're living in a moldy home or have high mycotoxin levels, it's going to be pretty much impossible for you to get rid of your yeast overgrowth internally. Um, definitely vaginal yeast infections stem from the gut, but some people have... Skin issues, they have coated white tongue, as the yeast yeasty signs or IBS type symptoms, and you might have worked internally but also addressing the localized area as well. So just obvious hygiene and, and maybe it's if you're sexually active with someone currently, it could be passing um, the yeast infection kind of back and forth between partners. So maybe something your partner needs to be aware of if you're in. heterosexual relationship and yeah i would look into those things you may just not have been on the protocol for long enough yeast can be very resistant to treatment and it can take sometimes a minimum of three months sometimes closer to six months and the goal should also be supporting your immune system simultaneously because yeast is natural it should be kept in check by the immune system so if you're just killing 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 the yeast But your immune system is still rock bottom for a number of reasons. It's going to be very difficult for you to keep the yeast in check long term, and you're going to have to rely on the antifungals, which obviously isn't ideal. Then, questions on parasite cleansing. So, can parasites be treated during pregnancy? No, I wouldn't do a parasite cleanse during pregnancy. That said, if someone is on a parasite cleanse and they fall pregnant, And they're already like two months into it and they are feeling better and they obviously fell pregnant during that. It's, I sometimes wouldn't, it depends on the person, just stop completely. I know that they haven't been tested for safety or anything like that during pregnancy, but sometimes shock to the body by just removing something too quickly can be even more stressful. So you would gently wean off the products. You can just support your immune system, keep your bowels moving with magnesium and daily bowel movements and fibre. Keep your immune system strong. You can do general herbs and spices like garlic and turmeric in your diet. The natural anti-parasitics and immune support immune supporters. But I wouldn't do a parasite cleanse until you've stopped breastfeeding and obviously given birth. Advice on small intestine fungal overgrowth please I have it with small intestine bacterial overgrowth diet supplements etc so obviously I can't go into all of that information in a few minutes but a lot of information online is on SIBO small intestine bacterial overgrowth that was like the big thing for a while and that is actually a symptom of something deeper as is the fungal overgrowth aspect too. so similar things to what I've just answered with the other, the other infection question and yeast support the immune system, antimicrobial gut protocol. Um, But also in this specific case, I would look at gallbladder and bioflow and stomach acid levels because if either of those are dysfunctional, you're not able to disinfect and keep the bowel, the small intestine clean of infections. And that's why SIBO and CIFO have a high recurrence rate because they're just giving them an antibiotic or giving them herbs, trying to kill the infection, but not actually dealing with the motility issue. So, check if there's a thyroid issue, check if there's low stomach acid and support bile flow. And that's going to make it a lot easier to keep at bay. And in terms of diet, I'm not a huge fan of like the low FODMAP, SIBO specific diets, SCD, like really restricted ones, because they can also then deplete your adrenals, they can slow down your motility even further. So, I during treatment try to recommend keeping your diet as broad as possible so that the bacteria and yeast can be feeding whilst you're killing them off. And then there might be a time and a place for a temporarily stricter diet after that, just to make sure everything's good before you expand your diet and diversify things a little bit more. Can you talk about what is involved in a parasite cleanse? So there's all different ones online, and I've done multiple ones before. Um, Things like black walnut extract or black walnut hull, um, wormwood, Clove, garlic, oregano, berberine, they're typically the herbs that are found, in and neem is another one, typically found in parasite cleanses. The one that I'm using is from Cellcore Biosciences, so you can read about that online. But the secret weapon is mimosa pudica seed. They had a question specifically on what is mimosa pudica seed. Oh, someone asked, does it get rid of parasites in the liver and muscles? I'm not sure. I think the mimosa pudica seed alone isn't enough that's like the intro that is what cleans and scrubs the bowels so it's probably more specific to the the intestines that one but then the other products the parato and parathroid the parathroid in particular for anything systemic is really effective they've even had clinical um experience some people like blowing their nose and seeing like little wormy things in there um and people with like I got the joint pain, so that's maybe something being mobilized in my joints. So Mimosa pudica wouldn't do the the liver muscle stuff, but it's all used in combination. But it looks a little bit different for everyone. I don't do the same parasite protocol with every person, but other tools can be like coffee enemas just to get the bowels going or colonics or something like that just to make sure you're flushing everything out. You can do anti-parasitic foods like I was talking about before but they also have a life cycle. So it's good to increase the dosage or maybe start the the parasite cleanse during a full moon, because that's when they're most active. And usually one round or one month isn't enough. You need to do them regularly or for a good few months to make sure that you're hitting it from all angles. Do I like Mega Microbalance if I find it effective? I do like that one. So that is a yeast, yeast clearing product from Microbiome Labs, the same company that does Megaspore. And it's a bit, little bit different to most other antifungals because it's not very harsh. Um, and it contains things like caprylic acid. And also I think it's got propolis in there. So some bee products. But it's really good for sensitive people. I sometimes start off with that one first. The caprylic acid penetrates or weakens the yeast membrane so that then you go in with antifungals and it's a little bit easier to kill them off because they create like a biofilm and they're very difficult to penetrate. So the, the caprylic acid is found naturally in coconut oil, but it's got therapeutic doses in this one. And um, I've not found it to be useful just on its own because I've never used it on its own. I've always started with that or used it in conjunction with some other things. What might cause tinnitus? So things like high blood pressure, just like basic things, mineral imbalances, but things like mold and Lyme disease. So chronic infections can cause tinnitus, Rachel-esque and heavy metals like mercury and arsenic. Oh, prenatal recommendation, planning to get pregnant. So I like the seeking health, optimal prenatal but pretty much all of their products are out of stock at the moment because i think the seeking health company has been really affected by covid but hopefully that'll be back in january i think or maybe this month so that's my favorite one have i ever tried a salt flush no i've tried a gallbladder cleanse And that does contain Epsom salt. I think that that might be what you mean with the apple juice, Epsom salts. Um, Yes, I've tried that. But I don't recommend that to everyone. I don't recommend just doing that on your own without a practitioner because it can be quite strong. What do I need? What do you need to purchase to do the cleanse? So... um, the company do have a sister company called microbe formulas if you're in the u.s that's a retail company they'd have the kit the parasite kit ready to go but ideally it would be good if you can work with a practitioner rather than do it on your own um, and the core products are a little bit different and some of them aren't available just retail um, but it's good to make sure your body's prepped for the parasite cleanse otherwise you might feel a little bit worse if you do it incorrectly. Do you love coffee but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS, and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mould and pesticides which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mould-free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores. Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of Reishi Mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers, such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the Reishi can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question, Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. High B12 blood work, despite not supplementation, but she does eat beef liver. Could it be from that? Probably not from a little bit, not from diet a lot of the time. It's often because of bacterial overgrowth in the gut that's the problem. So bacteria can make B12 for us. In the digestive system. So, when your B12 is elevated in the bloodstream, that shows a lot of the time that there's some sort of bacterial dysbiosis, often SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I had this for years as well. Doctors would tell me that I'm supplementing or I must be getting it from fortified foods or dairy free milks because they add sometimes B12 to that, but I wasn't. And it's because I had a lot of bacteria in my gut making tons of B12. But you could still be B12 deficient. Because it's in the bloodstream, but it's not getting into the cell where it needs to do the work. And that could be due to a conversion issue, um, mineral imbalance a lot of the time. So, the gold standard test for B12 is called MMA, methylmalonic acid, and that can be tested through blood, I think, or urine is the best one. That's checked through the Dutch tests and organic acid tests, the ones that I do. So, I would potentially do that um, for this person, Ivy, who's asking potentially run in a methylmalonic acid that would tell you if your b12 is actually high or if it's still deficient maybe you do need to supplement but i would probably work on your gut health first and continue with the b vitamin from the the liver because that contains the full b complex family which is what you want to do with b vitamins you don't want to mega dose just one individual b complex because it can b vitamin because actually throw off the other ones in the system And it could also be due to issues with genetics. So there's some common genetic SNPs or mutations like MTHFR that a lot of people have heard about. And that could be a sign that you're not using your B vitamins correctly. You actually need folate um, and B12 to work together. So it could be that you're taking enough or eating enough B12. Maybe you're folate deficient, maybe you're B6 deficient. So have a look into some of those things. Any recommendations for products to remove mold in the home? This is from Julie. Um, There are things like the fogging equipments that can be good. So Citrus Safe and EC3 are two companies. That last one, the other name is uh, Microbiome something. If you just type in E3C, you should be able to find them. But I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, It was on the Dr Pomper podcast and in the us there's a company called pure maintenance and the way that he was describing the mechanism was just amazing it's basically high um chlorine i think and vinegar and they make this concoction and then it kind of gets rid of all the mold that's needed and some of these people aren't even removing the damaged material in the first place they're just going in and like fogging the whole house and it's getting rid of the mold problem completely you can go st- through your clothes, through the walls. So I wish there was something like that in the UK, hopefully in the future, but that's called Pure Maintenance and the episode is 348 of his podcast if you're wanting to listen to that. Um, But that would be a good option. That would be my go-to if you're in the US. Wondering if I know how to treat her loss from Debbie. Um, Yes, so it depends on the cause. Sometimes her loss isn't fixable if it's permanent the follicles have been damaged because it's been going on for such a long time, or it's androgen related and the her follicles have actually shrunk in size, or it's some sort of alopecia, although that is an autoimmune condition, so that can be improved and put into remission in some cases. So it depends on the root cause of the problem. It can be as basic as an iron deficiency, an underactive thyroid, or it can be as complex as mold exposure, heavy metal exposure, and chronic infections, chronic trauma and stress. So rule out as a basic that the iron level, the ferritin should be at least a seventy five for your herd to grow normally and to stop shedding, um, and that's overlooked so often. Full thyroid panel including antibodies to rule in or rule out Hashimoto's thyroiditis would be my next, my next go to. Something like a vitamin D. Are you currently stressed? Are you eating enough? Are you over exercising? Um, they are usually the the most common reasons for hair loss. But yes, it's oftentimes treatable if you figure out what's going on because your hair is the lowest on your body's priority list. It doesn't really matter for life or death if you have a head full of hair. It does matter if your lungs, your guts, your brain, your liver is functioning optimally. So it's going to direct and divert all of its attention and energy and nutrients to those things first. What has helped you the most with your skin? It's been journey so i've been dealing with acne on and off um more on than off since i was about 17 i'm 26 now for reference so like eight years or something and there's been times where it's cleared up and um, when i was on the pill it was pretty clear but that was just a band-aid solution when i came off it came back with a vengeance so the biggest factors for me were infections in my guts parasites SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, yeast overgrowth because of mold illness. Mold illness was a huge one for me, which I understand isn't the case for everyone. Um, Low stomach acid and poor bile flow was another reason. And that's probably as a result of the infections. So like secondary to them, but low stomach acid was a big one. Um, Celery juice has helped quite a lot. I think it's because it's improving my stomach acid again after having H. pylori for probably eight years that i've only just treated this year because it only just showed up on my stool test after i've had symptoms since i was 17 it didn't show on a stool test for that long up until this year um what else has helped a good skincare routine so my friend cheryl woodman i mean i've also worked with sarah Sumic in the past of healthy skin glows cheryl woodman is honesty for skin she Updated my skincare routine back in summer and put me on a retinoid, topical retinoid. That made a big difference to me as well. I was using just a BHA, so a salicylic acid before, and that was helping. But I asked her, like, why did you swap from just regular salicylic acid chemical exfoliant to a retinoid? And she was basically saying that salicylic acid just helps to keep things manageable and just skin cell turnover, whereas retinoids, which is a, a derived derivative of vitamin a it actually just slows down that hyper keratinization in the first place so it's actually addressing the root cause of the problem rather than just managing the problem like the, the chemical exfoliants did so i notice way less congestion way less oiliness and breakouts i've not really had breakouts for a while but when i would get them they'd be so much more surface level they wouldn't be as deep or cystic and they would heal a lot quicker they would just come to a head i'd squeeze them which i know i shouldn't but then the the acne would fade and it's been a big difference i've taken a lot of photos over the last few months and i will be showing them Um, i'm going to create a healing highlight on my on my instagram with just things like my eyes like i've been taking pictures of my face up close from my detoxification process back in June um, and you can see a big difference with my eyes my skin my face like if you saw the before and after ones I posted the other week and my face is just way less puffy and um, someone actually asked had I had my lips done it's probably because I got braces on now as well but my face was just so puffy before it was crazy and stress management identifying my food sensitivities was a big one so, I was trying to eat this like perfect diet that I was reading about online, and um, with avocado and citrus and um, apple cider vinegar before every meal, fermented foods at every meal, and it was just making my skin absolutely crazy. So, it just shows that it's just really highlighted to me bioindividuality for everyone like, really drilled home that it's so important, and there's just no one size fits all for acne or for IBS. Um, so, I'm really Really into that, and yeah, they, they are the most common, the most effective things that I've done personally. Can you show your skincare routine? Your face looks so, so glowy, oily. <laughs> I actually dabbed some of the oil off this afternoon. It still gets oily, but I'm, it's not like a bad thing anymore, it's just how my skin is, and actually having oily skin as you age is a good thing because you're way less likely to have wrinkles so I'm not it's not as bad as it was like back in summer um because the weather was really hot here in the UK my skin was just so oily but also dehydrated at the same time so I thought just like strip the oil I need less oil but my my skin was still dehydrated and kind of thirsty um, even though it was quite shiny so my skincare routine, um, maybe I'll do an IGTV on that. Would that be useful? Um, this is all recommendations from Cheryl Woodman again, who's been on my podcast, and I think she's going to be on again. I'm going to be releasing that in the next few months. So stay tuned. And I talk a little bit about what I've done and changed there. But basically, in the morning, I cleanse with the what's the Cerave hydrating cleanser. I've recently added that one in because I noticed my skin was getting a little bit drier because of, I go for a walk every day in the freezing cold wind. So my skin is a little bit sensitive and I do have rosacea as well. So I, I really love that cleanser, but it's a new addition. So I start with that. Some days, like three times a week, I'll do a niacinamide and zinc serum after cleansing, which is from The Ordinary, just a thin layer. If you put it on too thick, it does pill. So just be mindful of that. That's why some people don't like it but that one is good for regulating my skin barrier. The zinc's really good at any pigmentation or post-inflammatory erythema, the red marks after acne, and just regulating sebum production and breakouts. So I love that serum. And then I moisturize with Avene Thermal, I think it's called Tolerance, um, the Avene line, basic, acne-friendly moisturiser I recommend to pretty much everyone with skin issues so that's in the morning in the evening I remove my makeup with the Bioderma Micellar Water and a cotton pad and then I second cleanse with the CeraVe Hydrating Cleanser again just to remove any residual stuff but I don't wear a lot of makeup anyway so that's, pro- that's enough for me to have a clean clean slate and then some days... I do, so I exfoliate maybe three times a week. It was a little bit more. I was doing something every night a few months back, but it was getting a little bit too much. So I do the Garden of Wisdom Granactive Retinoid. I would highly recommend working with someone on this because um, it needs to be the right percentage, the right formulation if you have dry versus oily skin. But I use a retinoid. I started like once a week. I know I've increased that to maybe two times a week for the retinoid, but that's really helped. And then other times I do um, it's the niod or niod. I forgot the name of it. It's like a, a non-act, a non-enzyme exfoliant or non-chemical exfoliant, something like that. And then the avene moisturizer again. So really basic, really gentle. And a few times a week I'll do a honey mask, raw manuka honey, literally my favorite skincare products just a thin layer, leave it on for 10 minutes, wash it off. And my skin is so much calmer, less red, hydrated, and any redness or inflammation has gone afterwards because it has gentle exfoliation, and antibacterial properties. So that's my skincare routine. But I will do an IGTV in the new year, showing you, like stepping you through me, applying all the products and everything. But hope that answers your question, Vivian so some more questions possible causes of late ovulation despite a healthy diet supplements good sleep hygiene it depends on your age if you're approaching age 35 and 40 and this is a new thing then you could just be in perimenopause and that's pretty normal for you to go through some fluctuations if you're younger than that or you've been having this for a while it could be that you have pcos that's the most common reason for ovulation disorders basically the high androgen levels interfere with the process of ovulation and just mess up the whole cycle. And symptoms can vary with that. There's people who are classic PCOS where they're overweight, they have a full-on beard, they have acne, um, and it's, you can just tell looking at them that they have PCOS. But then there's other people who are lean, they have clear skin, but they're just not ovulating regularly. That can still be PCOS. So that would be the other thing I'd look into and check in maybe your fasting insulin level i've got um a guide on my website tests for pcos so go on the free section of my website and that should be on there the next place i'd look is your adrenals or your thyroid gland um hypothyroidism can affect ovulation and reasons for that could be autoimmune so gut health hashimoto's is the most common reason for hypothyroidism And then adrenals, just classic stress from all aspects, mental and emotional stress, physical stresses, so sometimes having infections in the body can delay ovulation because your female brain is constantly thinking of reproduction and whether that's a good time or not. So if there's anything that's going on out of the ordinary or that's potentially dangerous, um, then your body can delay or just stop ovulation altogether, so some sort of chronic infection. And then finally... Nutrient deficiencies and mineral imbalances would be the next place I'd loop. So, minerals like potassium, zinc, selenium, iodine, really important for ovulation. A lot of people are lacking in those, especially if you've been on the pill at any point in your life or been on a vegan, vegetarian, or restricted diet for whatever reason, you could be lacking in those nutrients. And nutrient deficiencies, um, B vitamins, vitamin D. So, look into those things reasons or causes for excessive sweating this could be um, adrenal issues most commonly so again stress coming from somewhere could be perceived or real stress it could be an adrenal disorder so high cortisol could be excessive thyroid hormone production so the opposite of hypo hyperthyroid i had another question on that as well like causes of hyperthyroidism tends to be autoimmune in nature and the condition is called graves disease and again because it's an autoimmune condition you need to focus your attention on the immune system which is 80% located in the gut so chronic infections and parasites often drive hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's hypo can be excessive iodine intake if you're supplementing or eat a lot of sea vegetables but that's quite rare. could be environmental toxin related. Heavy metals can really um, attach to the thyroid and either push it too hard or prevent it from working well enough. And even with the sweating question, something like a magnesium deficiency can just cause your nervous system to be on overdrive despite you living a completely chilled lifestyle. So I would also look into something as simple as that. Um, it could be hormone related so it's particularly with estrogen levels as they're getting too high or dropping too low so if this symptom is cyclical it could be as a result of estrogen or estrogen fluctuating throughout the menstrual cycle any advice for thyroid nodules so doctors usually just like whip the thyroid out or just put your medication right away but this is just a symptom of something deeper anytime there's any growths or tumors or nodules or cysts In the body that are abnormal, then it usually comes back to poor detoxification or toxicity in the body. Like there's too much, too many toxins coming in, or the body isn't detoxing quick enough. Like the the water in the bathtub is coming in too much, the taps are on too high, or the drain is clogged, and that's the problem. So, either or with these things. So, too many toxins coming in could be heavy metal exposure, mold toxicity. Um, infections, parasite, glyphosate from non-organic foods and pesticides, um, and then things that block detoxification, inflammation of all sorts. but that could be thyroid related, could be food sensitivity related, so there's a big connection with gluten and thyroid issues. Um, so yeah, looking into those things as well. but some people do need to get the nodules removed because it's impacting the actual thyroid function. So it could be that you need the surgery, you need medication, but then you can maintain your toxic burden so that it doesn't regrow because if you just whip the thyroid out, your body's going to send you a message in other ways. It's going to um, grow back or something else is going to happen within the body and your body will start screaming at you at some point. So use this as a the the red light, the dashboard light in your car has come on don't just stick a band-aid on it, figure out why that is in the first place, and it could be for any of those reasons. Can I tolerate, am I allowed to have gluten if I have no symptoms after eating? So you can, whoever this person is, you can eat whatever you want, I can't tell you to not eat something, but I do think that gluten is a problem for a lot of people, but it's your choice whether you eat it or not, Um, but even if you don't have any symptoms, you could still be reacting and you could still have inflammation within the body and they've even done studies on this they've taken a group of people there's the extreme people with celiac and gluten allergies who obviously respond very quickly and sometimes life-threatening symptoms but then there's the people who can eat gluten and don't notice any changes whether they um, just aren't in touch with their body or they actually don't experience any digestive symptoms But symptoms of food sensitivities can come out in other ways. It can come out in fatigue three days later, or a skin rash two days later, or acne breakout, or anxiety within a few hours. So don't just think of diarrhea and digestive symptoms as a food sensitivity. Think of all of these other things as well. But they've done studies, and there's people who have celiac disease, and their inflammation lasts for months after eating it. In some cases but then there's people who eat gluten and maybe the inflammation lasts for 30 minutes but it's still inflammation in the body and if you're also doing other things that cause inflammation that gets the point where the body just can't handle it anymore but if someone has known autoimmune condition or it runs in the family quite strongly like with me my mum's side of the family has a lot of thyroid autoimmune issues my dad's side of the family has a lot of um psoriasis which is another autoimmune condition so i've just got the genetics i know that i'm at risk of developing autoimmune condition i can't do much about the majority of environmental toxins and stresses in the world as soon as i leave my house there's air pollution and heavy metals and stresses so i can control what i do in my home and what i eat in my diet 90 percent of the time so that's what i choose to do and i i now notice i used to eat gluten every day like multiple times per day i used to drink milk every day and didn't think that i had any issues but it wasn't until my health like really got bad i cut them out and now when they have um, gluten in particular i get obvious and noticeable symptoms quite quickly i think it's a problem for everyone there's varying there's like a, a sliding scale as to how badly you react but it's just up to the person if you're in italy and you're happy you're healthy you feel good and you want the pizza then be my guest and have a slice on me and um, i'm very jealous but you you have to live your life and not stress about things like this if you're not noticing any issues but if you're going through a health issue um, and just trying to heal sometimes you need to be on a stricter diet for a period of time and then you can relax and let the the reins go a little bit more as you get better question on warts and recurring warts the cause of that is usually virus related so it's the herpes virus and viruses are often from suppressed immune function and parasites are a very common cause of that. Parasites actually harbor or hold mold and viruses and heavy metals within them so in order to get to the virus you need to knock out the parasites first. Um, Other things for warts you can do some topical things like freezing there's the old trick with duct tape you just tie that around it or you can do essential oils um, there's a product called trs which is a heavy metal detox product that can be used topically as well with good success but something suppressing your immune system and allowing the virus to replicate recommendations for detox in very sensitive individuals So this was me and a lot of the clients that I attract are quite sensitive. So you need to go very slow. There's the saying that slow is fast, but fast is going slow. So please don't push it too much. I've made several mistakes in my healing journey, (laughs) so I don't need to do the same because it really does set you back even more. Start with one thing at a time, observe, but understand that sometimes you have to just go push past something to get to the next level and that's just how it goes you can't be completely symptom-free throughout a detox protocol it's going to be something get a little bit worse it shouldn't be unbearable but sometimes people are so scared of any symptom flare-up that they just don't do anything but you need to make some changes in order to get better so one product at a time start with just removing stresses so can you eat less non-organic food can you go to bed a little bit earlier The lifestyle things really focus on that. You could do maybe a water enema or a enema with uh, what's it called chamomile tea or coffee enemas, like very weak and diluted. You can do red light therapy. You can do basic exercise. You can do an Epsom salt foot bath before you add in. Don't jump straight to like the killing protocol, whatever you're doing at the moment, and just be easy on yourself. Use food as medicine a natural clean diet as much as possible um, and potentially work with someone because it gets a little bit tricky and someone looking from the outside perspective can actually just speed up the process and get some labs done to find out why you're so sensitive in the first place okay last question is from laura twitchy left eye which i think is due to a lot of magnesium but i'm still getting it when i'm supplementing do i need to take more or can i look into anything else not getting it as much as before supplementation but still there so With magnesium, you actually need cofactors, so additional nutrients to fully benefit from the magnesium. So you could be B6 deficient, and could be other minerals like boron and other B vitamins. So just megadosing with magnesium for a lot of people isn't enough. Your body could be going through stress and your needs for magnesium are just even greater. So you're doing the right thing with getting the magnesium in. It could just be that you need more. Or you need to remove the stresses that's increasing your demands for magnesium in the first place and so some sort of chronic infection are you actually absorbing the magnesium that you're taking fully do you have poor gut health low stomach acid chronic infections in the gut that when you put that magnesium in it's just going straight through or it's feeding some sort of infection rather than your needs so i would look into those things I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes. And all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrolment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.